welcome back to the Grassroots Football Coach Podcast brought to you by Bucks and Bucks FA. This is the fifth episode of our third series where we're speaking with current and ex-pros and gaining a different insight into the beautiful game. This week, Revo was joined by former Reading legend Michael Jukes. On the pod, Jukes talks about his 13-year career with Reading, experiencing some highs and some lows. He talks about the valuable time spent coaching at Slough, Hungerford and Basingstoke. He gives us an insight into his role at the time of recording at Reading and hear which coach Michael admires in the current game. So sit back and enjoy. Okay, I'm with Michael Jilks, Reading legend, and now uh, currently, are you coaching at the club now? What's the deal? That's a really good question at the moment, no. I'm like football operations manager, so I basically do a lot to do with players' contracts, loans... Um, quite a few things under one umbrella really so yeah enjoying it different part of the game that's for sure yeah let's go back to your um, playing career so how did that start well, I have to be honest it's it's such a long time ago <laughs> it genuinely is that you know I get a bit taken back when people ask me about it because there's so much that's gone on in life you know and yeah. the way the game's moved on and media and all the other things that go on in football but yeah, I, I um, signed professional basically for Reading back in 84. That's the honest truth. And I stayed there till 97. So it's about 13 years straight. Um, was fortunate enough to play with some fantastic players and go through a, a spell with a club that, you know, gets you to perform, do well, mm. not so well, you know, such a long time. And um, I've always had positive memories involved with Reading Football Club because it's been part of my life. So when did you start? So I know you're a, you're, you're a coach and you've gone through the sort of grassroots coach. You've done all your coaching qualifications, which I really admire because you've had such a illustrious playing career. But then you've had to effectively go back to school. Um, I know that you've gone out and studied and watched other coaches. You've got your level two, your A for B, your A licence, your pro licence. Um, so who sort of inspired you to go on that journey? It's a really good question. Again, if I'll be honest, as a footballer, I wasn't interested in coaching at all. So you're only ever interested in yourself and what you're doing. You you forget about everything else that's going on. Um, as I said, I left in 97. I went to Wolves for two years, had an injury struck time there and then went to Millwall and finished off in 2001. And then um, I went to Slough just um, to do a bit of coaching and a bit of playing maybe, you I know. So that's how it kind of took off. I kind of fell into it. I'd done my UEFA B while I was still at Millwall and um, then started doing my UEFA A while I was at Slough. Then I became a player coach mm. and it was just a good transition and by the time I'd finished that it coincided with Reading having their you know record breaking history promotion to the Premier League season you know yeah. 05, 06 so I got involved in media because obviously it was the Premier League it was the first time we were there in our history so I started to really understand the analysis side you know watching it up the very top and seeing the big picture and seeing things before they happen so um, I'd done that for a couple of years and that, that was great experience. And then I kind of, you know, really got relegated, unfortunately, and I kind of fell out the game, if I'll be honest. Uh, there wasn't no coaching jobs. There wasn't nothing available. So I'd done a couple of things. I was a qualified personal trainer. Yeah. I was a qualified mortgage advisor. You know, I always tried to keep my options open. And um, I ended up going part-time coaching at Hungerford in 2010 yeah. with Bobby Wilkinson um, 
good experience and then doing personal training and I was up and running you know the rest yeah. kind of took over from there very quickly got back involved with Reading in 2011 doing the day release um, you know which was for free but you just want the experience be back involved so I used to come up here on a Wednesday at Hogwood when the first team were off because that was their schedule and I used to train people like Aaron Cole, Liam Kelly you know who Rob Dickey you know the young ones of that time and then uh, done that moved to Basingstoke part-time which was fantastic mm. learning about non-league football with Hungerford and Basingstoke and you know just a different mentality yeah but people work really hard here you know you know mm. they have jobs full-time jobs and they do it part-time so you know a lot of respect to them and I basically came into Reading full-time as an under-18 coach in 2013 um, really enjoyed that spell that went on for I think between three and four seasons, moved up to the under-21s, then moved up to the under-23s lead and then moved up to the first team. All happened really quite quickly. Yeah. And before you know it, it's 2019. You know, it just flies by. Yeah. I mean, there's so much I could talk to you about, but just wouldn't have the time. Yeah. What, <clears throat> what would you say are some of the sort of key um, fundamental differences? So I know that you've, you, you've gone sort of back to school, if you like, and worked in grassroots. You've worked... Yeah non-league you've worked in the academy system you work with the first team with international players yeah what are some of the key um, differences would you say apart from the obvious um, one, the, one of the biggest things that I learned the hard way if I be honest is that the, the higher up you go you, you assume there's going to be better quality yeah. and, and, and on, obviously on many occasions there is um, but I made one of the mistakes by I remember coming into Reading's first team as a coach and I just assume the players knew. You, wow. you just assume, you know, yeah, you're at that yeah. level. But it's not they don't know. It's just that you have to coach. Yeah. And uh, the higher up you go, you have personalities, different types of personalities, different characters. You know, then you combine that with are the team winning? Are they not winning? Mm. There's, there's a lot of different pressures. It really is. But working with any first team at any levels. Um, I would recommend to anybody. Mm. You, you, you learn a lot. I remember quite naively saying to you that I thought you, you had it easier in terms of um, organisation um, and planning out for a session and having the players that you'd want Yeah. Um, versus the grassroots coaches that we're dealing with. And you were like, well, hold on a minute. There's times under certain managers where when I take a team, that team knows that they're not starting. So then all of a sudden you're dealing with egos and things like that. Forget salaries, forget whether they're internationals mm -hmm. or not. You've then got to draw on your experiences to be able to lift those players. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that we all go through. And, you know, just for example, say grassroots, non-league, etc. You know, there's times when, you know, people are travelling from different parts of the country to get to training. Some don't make it on time. You've got yeah. your numbers, you've got your things set out. And out of expecting 20 players because you want to do an 11 v 11 plus your keepers, you've only got... 15 you yeah. know so you got you got to think really quickly because you got to put a session on it's still got to be effective so you're learning from what you've done in the last game and you're trying to bring it forward into the, the, the following game so you're always thinking on your feet I mean the higher up you go you get better facilities obviously you're dealing with different types of players different levels but but you still have challenges yeah. you're, you're always being challenged all the time honestly yeah. it's consistently regular mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I just think that's a, certainly a misconception on my part. 
that um, yeah, I, I get it. Lovely facilities, but you'd have everything you wanted. So it's interesting that there are different challenges. Yeah, and, and that there are. You know, yeah. like I said, you know, you could have. It depends on how many are in a squad. Whether the team won, whether the team lost. Do you play on Saturday and then you play on the Tuesday? You're in Sunday. You're, you're travelling Monday because you're away. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, there's there's so many things that go into it. Mm. That is, um, it's a lot more detailed than people realise. Mm. Okay, so just moving on then. So, so who are the sort of current managers that you admire? So, current managers in the game. Oh uh, well, I there, there's so many really good managers in the game, and I, I'm not going to throw in the the obvious ones because obviously they're there for a reason on merit. But there's there's many managers who I think are doing really good jobs mm. who who don't really get any credit for what they do you know one that pops out to me for example is, is Gareth Ainsworth at Wickham Wanderers uh, but that's just my opinion you yeah, know yeah. Um, every year he, he's I don't know him personally strangely enough I know maybe to say hello but he's battling every year putting out fires all the time you yeah. know working with a small squad financially things are not maybe as they could be and consistently trying to improve all the time uh, they're, they're, they're really good managers there's many like that sorry yeah. you know at different clubs some clubs are more patient than others with their managers so <laughs> we, we all want to manage and do well as managers but obviously it's uh, an industry where it's quite clearly not possible and mm. the, the turnaround time seems to be getting quicker mm. unfortunately yeah um do you currently have a coaching philosophy? I know at Reading they have their own philosophy and the academy they have their own philosophy, but um, let's say you, you were manager, what would your philosophy look like, your sort of playing and coaching philosophy? Um, well, very good. Yeah, but, you know, good question again. I think before you, we all have ideas of what we think and what we want to do, but first and foremost, you have to look at the players you have available. And... Um, so I, I personally feel that you need to be adaptable. You want to be able to have systems that you can play with three centre-halves or play with a back five. Um, you, you want to be able to do an old 4-4-2. Yeah. I mean, that's extremely difficult and people think it's old-fashioned. If you have the right players, you can do it. Yeah. If you have the right intelligent wide players and midfielders, it's a very good system. Obviously, people play 4-3-3 now. You know, mm. you can have three out-and-out forwards like Liverpool do. Yeah. You can have a midfield like Man City. There's so many different ways, but you have to work with what you have. Mm. And um, I'm never saying try not to improve players, but you have to do what you have to do in a game because there's times in games when it's on to play. And quite seriously, there's times in games when it's not. Yeah. And you have to know that you have to hit the right areas. You, you have to, for example, if I want the ball to feet all the time and I'm starting the game wanting it to feet all the time, then the defender or my opponent's always going to get tight for me. And then mm. I'm going to come deeper and deeper. Then I'm going to have less and less pace. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden you're on, you're on your own penalty box, you mm. know. So I've always been, as many people have, you do opposites. I want the ball to feet, so I'm going to run long. Yeah. But I'm doing all those types of movements long before the guy's in position to give me the ball or play the pass. Yeah. Or if I'm coming short, I'm sucking him in because I want the ball in behind. So you've yeah. got to have relationships with people who want the ball. So I always be with a left back and a left winger or a left-sided player should have a relationship. Your left back and your, and your centre-half should, your midfielders. Everybody's in entwined with someone yeah. you know as a wide player you'd be involved with your centre forward as well you know so mm. you have to understand each other's games so when you talk about philosophies th there are so many different ways to play the game but I will say it is still the same game yeah. you know people pay money and they want to see they want to 
see their team entertain them or try their best to. Yeah. I think the only way that it really works out is if you haven't played well, but you've still won. I think everybody will go home and take yeah. three points every day of the week. But yeah. I don't think you continue to play well every week and lose. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so a different spin on that then. So what would your sort of coaching philosophy involve? What would you be like as a coach? I'd, I'd, really want, I'd really want to develop the players individually and collectively, mentally. Yeah. So you get to a stage where you give them scenarios. Um, so what would you do when, when in this position? What would mm. you do if you close you down quickly? You know, you left-footed, you right-footed. I really want to educate players more um, because there's so much analysis now to play football that you know, you know what he's going to do on the day because you've seen whether he's left-footed, right-footed. Mm. But yet, even at the highest level, people still make mistakes. Goals still get scored. Mm. You know, so it's just really educating players more. And one thing I've learned as well is that I'm saying educate players. Players educate coaches. Yes. You know, players educate coaches. Yeah. And, and that, that's what we need to understand also, that they... They challenge you and you've got to be ready for those challenges. Don't mm. dominate. You know, mm. if you've got something you want to get across, that's really important. But you've got to listen to players because yeah. p- players, players are playing. Mm. You know, they make decisions in split seconds and they're not always right. But yeah. if you can find out why they made it, then you can think, well, if it happens again, these are the choices. Mm. Or maybe there's no choice and you've done the right thing. Yeah. <clears throat> That's interesting, actually. I was watching a, a YouTube clip with Arsene Wenger, who was <laughs> talking about similar sort of things. Okay. Half-times, he would sort of take the emotion out of everything and let the players talk amongst themselves. Yeah. And almost give them a period of time to try and solve the puzzle for themselves because they're the ones that were just playing. He sort of detached from the pitch, if you like. Um, so he'd let them have a few minutes at the start. So I found that was interesting and probably very different to how we would have started off playing all that half-time team talk and what yeah. that would have looked like. Um, so just going on to your session planning then so when you were obviously involved with the first team here when would you have planned out your session of what you were going to deliver because in my mind I'd I'd probably think it was at least a day before or a couple of days before but you might tell me completely different Um, well it's very similar you you, you prepare it beforehand but obviously if there's a game on a Saturday and you're in on a Sunday for example it, it really depends on how the result was whether there's any injuries you know, we did three or four subs, did three or three out of the five or six subs come on, yeah. you know, as to what your numbers are going to be in the morning. So sometimes you don't actually know what those numbers are until you get in in the morning. Mm. And um, you've always got session ideas in your head anyway. So you've got things for five players, seven players, nine players, passing drills, yeah. you know, possession drills, in and out of possession, finishing drills, Yeah, you know. Do you have two keepers? Do you have three keepers? You know, so you always have to organise and make sure there's people available, i.e. more than one keeper. Mm. Um, but would there be a programme of work that you'd have over a sustained period? Well, that, um, so, or would so, it depend on the game? It would. The weekend so, the... for example, as I, I most probably didn't explain, is that obviously you have the first team, so they've played, and then you've got maybe eight or ten players who haven't played. Yeah. So they're footballers. They want to play on a Saturday. So you're now on a Sunday morning. They haven't played a game. So they're frustrated, understandably. So they're, they're professional. There's no doubt about that. So you, you have to be careful in what kind of sessions you put on and what you're trying to achieve from them. These guys are not in the best mood mentally sometimes, but they, they train very well professionally. So you just got to make sure you put sessions on that you try and get them to enjoy them and you try and get them to work hard as well. It's mm. a real fine balance, you know, because mm. on a Sunday, you're most probably going to have them properly training for about 45 minutes. So you need a bit of intensity in there. Mm. You need a bit of change of pace and, mm. and, and you, you still want to improve them as well. You know, you want to make sure they're applying themselves right, which, mm. which they do, they do. 
Mm. And what about the review process with regards to those sessions? So do you review after as a group, as a coaching staff, in the car on the way home, what went well? Maybe I'll change that for next time. Well, I mean, football's ever-revolving. I mean, analysis, for example, is yeah. done in such detail before games to give you as much information as possible, you know, to, to get your aims right in the game to try and win. And then also you have analysis after. I mean, not everyone does that. Maybe they do. And you analyse the things that went well in the game or you analyse things that players could improve on. That's always as a unit that could be defensively, midfield, attack but individually as well. So, you know, for instance, left back or a centre back, what did he do well or what could he improve on or was he at fault for this goal and what's his position? And there's so much in there. There's mm. so much. And then you create relationships with the players because you start to understand them. And um, it's continuous. I'll be honest with you, it's continuous, you know. Mm. What was the best piece of advice you were given as an aspiring coach? So you've had your playing career, that's coming to an end. You mentioned at Slough when you first got into coaching. But is there one piece of advice that sticks in your memory from, from, from a coach yeah. at the yeah. time? Yeah, it was, um, fortunately, I was on my pro licence, you know, a while ago. Um, but the biggest thing I've taken, not just actually in my coaching career, but in my life going forward, is um, to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't complicate it, just listen. Yeah. You know, don't don't start planning on what you're going to say to someone. Just, just just leave your mind open and listen to what they have to say. Mm. Then take it in and then answer. Yeah. You know, just give yourself that, that pause. You know, because you, you need to listen. If you mm. don't listen, I don't see how you can improve, if that mm. makes sense. And I don't yeah. see how you can help someone else improve if you're not actually listening to them. Yeah. And that's quite, quite a... That doesn't happen overnight because no. if you haven't been used to listening, with all due respect, that could be many of us, the majority. That's one... Bit, and I'm continuously learning at that. It's, yeah. it's uh, been re really good advice. That's something that I've tried hard to do. These podcasts have, have, have really helped. But sometimes I think, do, do we listen to educate ourselves or do we listen to defend and I think I was guilty of that mm -hmm. probably over you know, the last 10 years. It's almost when someone's saying something, I'm ready to defend myself in that situation rather to listen and actually hear exactly what they're saying to further educate me. Um, so I think that's a, that's a really it's good It's a normal human reaction, isn't it? You know, if you, it's, it's not always criticism. It's a different opinion. And you always feel inside that you're on the defence. You've, you've got to make an answer to that question or interrupt. And just, just take a step back, you mm. know, just listen and take it in and then, and then have an opinion on it. I mean, I think, does someone have to be right and someone have to be wrong? Mm. Do no. you know what I mean? Yeah, no. You know, you could be on the same path. You just got slightly different opinion. How many people watch the same game and see so many different things in that game? Mm. So it's, it's all about communication. That's really mm. the key and, and getting a good understanding where even if you disagree, but you can agree to disagree. There's nothing mm. wrong with that. You don't, you don't want someone around you who's going to agree with everything you say because no. that, that's, that's another yeah. problem. Would you say it's the same for coaching when you put coaching sessions on? taking that period of time just to stand back that period of silence just to reflect and see what's going on are the players able to do you know the tasks that I've tried to, to, to put into them um, versus feeling that pressure just to go in and say something whatever that something may be sometimes I mean I've had um, coaching sessions where you have your, your session plan etc and you execute it and you come away after an hour and you look back on it you think that went brilliant went perfect and like you feel really good with yourself and then there's other ones where it couldn't have gone any more wrong 
it couldn't have gone any more wrong, you know. And uh, the strange thing is about that, if I'll be honest, it's the ones that didn't go well and that went wrong were the ones I learned most from. Yeah. That, that, that's the honest truth. They're the ones you learn from. It's not the ones that go well because, oh, that went well, he played well, this happened, that happened. I'm like, well, we haven't done much coaching. Do you need to coach? No, you don't. If there's something that you don't need to coach, don't look for it. Do you know what I mean? Don't, don't manufacture things when it comes to coaching. Be natural. If you've got your points you want to get across, please only put your points across if it actually comes up. If it yeah. doesn't come up, don't need to put it across. Mm. That's, that's my that's opinion. That's a very good point, yeah. So, so what is the makeup of a good coach? <laughs> so what is the makeup? So I said on a previous podcast, um, the more and more I sort of delve into this and going into this mm-hmm. coaching world, it's about people, isn't it? I, yeah, I mean, most things are about the, the individual. Uh, I've, I think I've said to you before, me personally, I, I see coaching as having good knowledge, uh, an understanding, and there's many different levels of what that may be. But it's all about your personality, yourself as an individual. You know, you've got to be positive and you've got to show what you're about. You know, you don't want to be like every other coach. Be your own coach. Be your own person. That's what we are, all individuals. We all have similar traits, and sometimes we have very different traits. But I think you need to stamp your authority and your personality on how you want to coach, how you want to be as a person. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And if you can get those things out, I I think you're going along the right path to to help other people. Mm. Okay. um, If you could give one message to any coaches that are just entering their journey into the game, whether it's grassroots, academy coaches, whoever it may be, what's that piece of advice? It would be patient and believe in yourself. It's really simple. And, and the reason why it's so simple is because they're the most difficult things. You know, when you're just trying to get into it, you're actually not patient <laughs> because yeah. you're desperate to get in. You want to show people what you can do. You want to impress all of those positive things. You just have to find a balance because you'll most probably take quite a few knockbacks and it will come down to your character before anything else. Forget your coaching and your ability and the qualifications you have. If you can't position yourself in the right place, you're not going to get the opportunities. And what Mm. I mean by positioning yourself, I mean, be yourself. You know, try to help people. Don't Mm. always do things because you want to benefit from it. You've got to do things because you think they're right. You want to help people because you think it's right. Mm. All of these things are important. And yeah. if you have them, then you'll really appreciate things more when they come your way. Mm. And um, you'll enjoy it more. Mm. Mm. Michael, sadly, we've um, come to the end. I know, that you're a <laughs> I know that you're a busy man, but hopefully we can maybe in the new year follow up with a, with a part two. No problem. <laughs> enjoy that. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. We really appreciate it. Since sitting down with Rivo in November 2019, Jukesy was appointed Academy Manager at Reading, which is fantastic. So good luck, Michael, and look forward to seeing you continue the great work with the Royals. Coming up on next week's episode, Rivo and I are joined by MK Don's manager, Russell Martin, which for Don's fans and football fans alike will be a terrific listen. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget if you've missed an episode of Series 3 or any of our previous episodes, they are available to listen again on all podcast platforms. To get the pods direct to your device, hit subscribe and leave us a review. Thanks again, look after yourselves, and we'll see you next week.